Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm really excited this week to introduce you to Jessica Hammer. She started a company called Taste of Toulouse in, yep, you guessed it, Toulouse, France. I met her when I was in Toulouse a couple of weeks ago to research the bread scene there for the book I'm writing, and Jessica was key in introducing me to the right people and in really making it happen. I'm so thrilled that we connected through guess what? Instagram. So, you know, social media has its perks. Meeting her in person was so wonderful. And I was so loving learning about her path, about how she moved from America to France, how and why and all that good stuff. Um, And then learning about how she picked up and started this business. It was Awesome. I was so inspired and I was like, all right, we got to get you on the podcast. So I'm thrilled to bring this conversation to you today. We talk about how to start a business abroad. Uh, We talk about mental health as an entrepreneur. And we also talk about where people get their energy, extroversion versus introversion, and that kind of regardless of who you are or what your inclinations are, doing something in the service of a passion uh, makes it easier. We talk about the warmth and hospitality of Southwest France, and she tells us more about her walking food tours in English in the city center of Toulouse with her company, Taste of Toulouse. We both agree that food tours are a really great way to get to know a place. All right, now grab your berets and your brillant baguette, and let's talk to Jessica. I am sitting in Toulouse, France, looking over this beautiful Vista Square. Hi, Jessica. Hello. Jess has been showing me around Toulouse, the amazing food scene here. Jess, where are you from and how did you find yourself in Toulouse? So I grew up in very rural southwest Michigan. Um, My family are blueberry farmers there. And I lived in Toulouse, sorry, I lived in Chicago (laughs) for 11 years um, before moving to Toulouse, um, which was about two years ago with my husband. And you have set up a company here. You have, you are an entrepreneur in a country that is not your native country. I mean, the challenges must be multiple, um, a multitude of challenges. Can you just talk through kind of what was that like? Yeah, it's um, it was challenging, but for me, it was um, you know, it was a good decision for me, and I'm glad that I did it. Um, in France, here, a lot of English speakers, what they might do is teach English, which you can do, but it's like setting up a freelance business. So I said, you know, if I have to set up a business anyways to work, um, I might as well do something that I'm really passionate about. And so, like doing it in the service of that passion makes it a lot easier. Um, than just doing it because you have to. Uh, But yeah, the bureaucracy here is no joke. Um, It takes probably about two months just to open a bank account. Yeah, not joking. 
Um, and yeah, setting up a business is hard. Um, I was really lucky to get referred to some professionals like lawyers and accountants and things like that that spoke English and can help me navigate. Um, I also, uh, when I was setting up my business last year, enrolled in a five-month business incubator program for female entrepreneurs here in Toulouse. Um, which was enormously helpful in teaching me how um, the French system works and just how the French kind of think about business in general. I was hoping that you would bring up this entrepreneurial program, this incubator, um, because you were telling me about it yesterday when we went on our bread adventure, which we'll talk a bit more about later. But um, you mentioned it, and this this is an incredible resource. And mm-hmm. so it was basically you with a bunch of fellow female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And what exactly, so it was five months. What yeah. did you do in mm-hmm. those five months? So um, depending on the week, we, we kind of had a schedule of different modules that we had to go through um, of of workshops on different topics. Um, and some were very straightforward business topics, for example, how accounting, how French accounting works, which is not the way American accounting works. Um, I'll just put that out there right now. Um, I was happy that I was not the only one in the class that was confused. I I didn't feel so bad being a second language French speaker that day because I was just as confused as as the native French speakers. But, you know, so accounting and marketing and how to put together a business plan and different business models, but also um, courses on um, emotional intelligence, which is hugely important um, as an entrepreneur. Emotional intelligence. Can you define what that is and then tell me, yeah, the steps that they taught you about? Yeah. So uh, emotional intelligence is really about knowing yourself and being able to gauge your emotions and um, realizing that sometimes like your emotions are telling you things that maybe aren't the reality. Um, One of the first um, exercises that we had to go through in the course was to um, take for, I think, I can't remember if it was two weeks or a month, we had to do kind of a daily journal almost. Um, and that day list um, list things that we did that we like felt proud of or that were successes. Um, and also talk to people that we knew and ask them kind of what about me makes you think that I will be a good entrepreneur and be like a success at what I'm doing here. Um, and so that way, you know, there are a lot of hard days as entrepreneurs and you kind of question why you're why you're doing what you're doing. Oh, geez, what did I get into? Oh, my gosh. You know, like, am I prepared for this? Um, and that way um, you have this kind of record to look back on of like, OK, you know, this is how far I've come. This is the things that I do do well. These are the successes that I've had, you know what I might feel in the moment is maybe not all of the reality. And that's hugely important as an entrepreneur, um, being able to kind of separate your emotions a little bit, but also like use your emotions in a like positive guiding way. And also to kind of like sometimes go with your gut too. (laughs) I love that so much. And I feel like it, the fact that it's a part of this course that you took, Mm -hmm. it in a way legitimizes something that maybe a lot of entrepreneurs won't admit, which is that well-being and just mental, Mm -hmm. 
mental clarity, mental health is just as much a part of the job, of the job, like yeah. of doing business mm -hmm. as anything else, as accounting or, or whatever. And it's one of the hardest things to learn. You, you can rely on accountants, you can rely on lawyers, you can rely on marketing professionals. Um, but like personally, if you don't have your shit together, yeah. the, the, you know, I, therapy is great. Yeah. <laughs> and then like another layer on top of it is starting a business in another country, a non-English speaking country, which is exactly what you've done. Mm -hmm. um, Taste of Toulouse is awesome. I just took a tour and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But really, congratulations. You've been you. super successful and um, your French got a lot better through this course you took yeah. and you learned French while you were living here. Just mm -hmm. talk to me a bit about that language curve. Yeah, I mean, so language learning for every person is different. Um, how I learn language is a lot different than how my husband learns language. Language. Um, I'm. I was an English major at university. I'm very much a perfectionist. So for me, um, it's easier for me, like knowing the structure and knowing the rules. But then I get really caught up in wanting to say things correctly instead of just making myself understood. Um, so for me, it required a huge push to get out of the classroom and getting comfortable using it in real life situations where you don't really have as much time to kind of reflect on what you're on what you're saying. You just kind of need to say something in the moment. So, yeah, I was um, what really pushed me over into like being conversational in French was enrolling in this business incubator program, which was all in French. Um, the women in my class were all all French women, native French speakers. Um, I was the only Anglophone. There were a few women in the class who spoke English, um, one who lived in Australia for a few years, but like it was all in French. And that was like a dive off the deep end. And I came home from the first few um, workshops that we did and just cried because I was so overwhelmed and like, I don't know how how I'm going to do this. Like, I just I'm so exhausted. My brain feels like Swiss cheese. I can't even <laughs> speak in English anymore. Like, what am I doing? Um, but, it, you know, it gets I think anybody who gets to any fluency in a language will tell you that there's like a really difficult curve to get through when you start having to use it regularly in concentrated portions of real life. Um, over the course of the five months, by the end of that five month period, um, I was able to give a 10 minute pitch presentation about my business in French and also answer questions in French. And, you know, of course, I'm also using it daily in my business and talking with all of the merchants here. And so I mean, they can tell you how much I've improved in French in the last year since I've been really working closely with them. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like language is one of those skills that you just have to throw yourself into and you have to like just suck yeah. up in just yeah. humility. And there's no easy way to do it. And you're going to spend a lot of time feeling like an idiot. Yeah. Um, and that's just you have to just like accept that. <laughs> but then there's also the most incredible feeling when you make yourself understood and you mm -hmm. can like communicate with someone, especially when you're in the beginning phases. I feel like when I was in Italy for that month and like from the beginning of the month to the end of the month, mm -hmm. the curve was so sharp that yeah. it's just the best feeling ever. Yeah. 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 One of my like um, the skills, you know, that I think is most valuable is you know, being able to, if you can't remember the word, being able to explain your way around the word so that they still understand like what, and then they'll be like, oh, you mean this? I'm like, yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. 
So yeah, it's it's good. And learning French in Toulouse is fabulous. Um, it's so much better than going to Paris, for example, because so many people in Paris speak English. And if they hear anything other than a, a pure French accent, they'll just start speaking to you in English because it's more efficient. They're doing with, dealing with so many tourists every day. But here in Toulouse, um, for the most part, people... Um, don't spe- they don't speak as much English, but if they do um, and they hear you kind of stumbling, they'll ask. They'll say, you know, I can speak English if you'd like, or do you want to speak English? And you can say, oh, thank you. I have no idea what I'm saying. Or you can say, oh, I'd like to practice my French. And they're like more than happy to help you. And then even if you know, they're very encouraging. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. I have so enjoyed my time in Toulouse thus far. I was talking to Connor yesterday evening on the phone and I was like, Toulouse makes me think of like Amsterdam versus like Rome or London, right? So it's just like smaller, cuter, friendlier, kind of generally speaking. Yeah, there's like definitely kind of a a warmth and hospitality in this part of France that really comes through in Toulouse. And it's obvious that this part of France and Toulouse has captured your heart and Mm -hmm. that you share that. I mean, you get excited about sharing that with other people and hence the job that you started. Um, So Taste of Toulouse, what exactly do you do? Yeah, so um, I started Taste of Toulouse a year ago and I do walking food tours in English in the city center of Toulouse. Right now I do two main food tours. I do a morning food tour at the Marche Victor Hugo, which is our largest covered market. And then I offer an afternoon tour that's all about um, the local chocolate and pastry scene in Toulouse. Uh, I also do special events and wine tastings and things like that. But the, the the two main tours are kind of my bread and butter. And depending on when you're listening to this, so what, it's October 2019 now. But the thing about podcasts is like they're super evergreen. I have people like tweeting me about episodes I did last year and like they just <laughs> listened to it. So go and like go to her website and check in because it could change, yeah. right? You could add new tours. You yeah. could change things yeah. up. Yeah. For example, right now I'm planning a... A tour for the Christmas season where my chocolate and pastry tour is going to kind of become a um, sweets of the season, a seasonal exploration of like the different sweet things that we like to eat around Christmas time. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of things change as I get inspired by the city and what's around me. And so I just did the Marche Victor Hugo tour this morning. Just had a big group. It was eight people, and then she, which yeah. is kind of, which is That's the biggest my maximum. Eight people is my max. And then she was kind enough to let me tag along and make it nine this morning. So it was a big group, and um, really, hats off. You handled it with such grace. You kind of like herding cats <laughs> that everyone was super into it. You're really knowledgeable too. Like you know what you're talking about, and you you love cheese, you love wine, you love all these things, and you have done the research behind it, and you're able to yeah. talk with expertise. So let's rewind a bit more. And how did you get into food, and how did you find your love of food? Yeah. So um, you could kind of say that I've been born into it. Um, my family are blueberry farmers, and so I grew up in this family of um, of farmers and entrepreneurs. And my my best friends growing up, one of them lived on a cattle farm and one of them lived on a pig farm. So I've always been in the food sector and really interested in where like where our food comes from because I had a really unique perspective that not everybody has um, growing up. However, it's kind of, it was kind of like got pushed to the back burner a little bit. After graduation, I moved to Chicago 
and spent 11 years living in Chicago. And for eight of those years, I worked in a small neighborhood chamber of commerce, um, working side by side with all of the small local businesses there, doing marketing and event planning and visitor attraction. Um, But after about nine years of that, I got really burnt out and I wanted a change. And I was kind of like, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I want to do. But a few years prior to that, my husband and I had went to Paris for a vacation. We were running the half marathon in Paris, the semi-marathon de Paris. And um, I said, if I'm running this half marathon, I am going to eat my way through the city. (laughs) As a true foodie would say. And also, didn't you decide to... When you decided to do a half marathon, you were like, there's got to be a really good, like, yeah, a good reason. Yes. As I'm running 11 miles um, in February in Chicago along the lakefront where the the wind chill is negative seven degrees Mm -hmm. Fahrenheit, uh, the whole time I was saying Paris, 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 Paris. (laughs) Um, Yes. So we went to Paris and I met French wine and cheese and fell in love. And I had been spending a lot of time in my free time um, going to wine tastings and cheese tastings and things like that in Chicago. And I finally decided, you know what, I want to see where this goes um, and kind of see where I can take it professionally. And so I got a job in a cheese and wine shop in um, Pastoral, which is one of the artisanal cheese and wine shops in Chicago. And I spent a year there working behind the counter as a cheesemonger and a wine seller. Um, learning all about the different cheeses, um, the stories behind a lot of the artisanally produced cheeses that we sell, um, and also the wines and how to do wine pairings, and not just about the cheeses themselves, but how to kind of explain them to people and um, and kind of guide people in recommendations and introduce them to their new favorite cheeses. And that was one of my favorite parts of the job was really the interaction um, and helping other people explore. And it's a totally different skill than just like knowing the things yourself in your own head, being able to express that and share it and communicate and educate, which is another thing you do on your Mm -hmm. tours. Um, Yeah, it's it's a totally different ballgame, but um, but necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I really I fell in love with that part of the job um, and also having ready access to all of the wine and cheese and everything. Uh, And it was at that point that my husband and I decided to move to Toulouse. Um, And your husband is a dancer, right? So tell us about that and and how you guys got the visas to be here. Yes. Um, So we're on his visa. Um, He applied for what's called the Passport Talent Visa, the Talent Passport Visa, um, which one of the categories of that visa is like an artistic category for people who have um, international artistic reputations. And he was able to get a visa to come to Toulouse um, to do... um, artistic and cultural collaborations with a small tap dance company that's here in the city, but also to teach dance freelance because he teaches a very specific technique of American jazz and tap dance. And so he's kind of like bringing that to France. Um, and so that's that's how we chose to lose um, is because he had dance contacts here. Um, but then we moved here and just fell in love with um, the city itself and the warmth of the people and all of the food here. Um, it, you know, it, within a matter of months, it's just for us one of those places where like, yes, we feel at home here. We we really identify with this place. This is the first time that I have been to Southwest France before, and I've been to France quite a bit. Um, Southwest France is like a new favorite of mine. <laughs> it's really... It wins really... people over. Yeah. yeah. I will be back before too long, uh, for sure. 
I'm wondering what kind of what kind of people do you get on your tours who come to this kind of up and coming tourist area of France? Who are your main customers? Again, my tours are in English uh, exclusively, so. Although it just, I'm going to interrupt you really quickly to say you can speak French quite well. Yes, um, conversational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my tours themselves are in English. I am not at the point of fluency in French where I want to explain French people to French food to French people in French. Um, that's just a shade too far. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I speak French, and I speak French with a lot of the vendors on um, that I talk with on my tours that don't speak English. So some of them do. And they get to speak for themselves when I talk when when we're talking with um, the guests on the tour. So because they're in English, obviously um, my major most of my customers are from the U.S., Great Britain, and Australia. Um, though I have a lot uh, a decent amount of second language English speakers as well from other European countries: um, Germany, the Netherlands, Scandinavia, Spain, Italy. That don't speak French, but maybe they speak English. So English is kind of the universal second language at this point. Um, and it's just people interested in food and wanting to get it to know a new place. Uh, even when I'm traveling, I love going on food tours. And it's not really just for like research and to see how other people do it. Um, but it's also just because it's a great way to see the city, um, to get a taste of you know what the locals like to eat and drink, um, and kind of some of the attitudes about food which I think are really telling in terms of culture and what people value. Um, and so a lot of people have started to see food tours as just a really unique way to get to know a place in a way that a walking tour might not as much. Yeah, it's super indicative. Like you, I, I think there's a quote out there somewhere that's like, food is the window into a culture, yeah. um, which I mm-hmm. fully, fully support that. So yesterday you helped show me around this area of France in terms of the bread um, for the book I'm writing, which if you listen to the podcast a lot, then you've heard me talk about before and I won't repeat myself. But Jessica, you know, knew a lot of the really quality artisan boulangers here. And um, we went around, we went to a handful, close to half a dozen, um, eating our way through. And oh, I was so full last yeah. night. <laughs> we had so much bread in our bellies. I didn't eat dinner. <laughs> what was something that you learned or took away from that experience? Because it was unique in that we were doing back to back and tasting yeah. things back to back to back. Um, so even though you already knew about this, what was something new that you learned mm-hmm. from our adventure yesterday? We called ourselves the three bread skateers, by the way, because we also had a Mikhail. Uh, so there were three of us popping around. What did you learn? Well, one of one of the things that really was uh, drove home to me was just the fact that bread is really personal. Um, obviously, taste and cheese and wine are personal too, um, but for bread. Um, we don't really acknowledge as many variations. Um, you know, is it a sourdough bread? Is it a baguette? Um, you know, we kind of have very basic categories, but we don't get into the variations as much as we do um, cheese and wine, um, maybe just because they're not as obvious until you start like tasting the bread. 
what you like is really personal, like what you want in your bread. Like, do you like your crust really crispy and crackly and like just, you know, flaking off? Or do you want um, something that's a little bit softer and chewier? Do you like the crumb on the inside to have more of the really strong sourdough flavor? Or do you want to get the flavor more of the wheat? Um, do you like it more dry or more moist? Um, you know, it's it's really personal and there are standards that we can have for like what's good bread and what's not, but like that's for like good bread, but like what makes great bread is really like which one you prefer after tasting them. And that was what was really cool about tasting them back to back is then all of them, all of the places that we went to like are considered some of the best bread in this area. Um, But then you're tasting them back to back and you realize how much, of the personal preferences that you have too, like, oh, I like, I really like the crust of this one, or I really like the taste more of this one. Yeah, it is with some, for something with so few ingredients, at least when it's done well and doesn't have a lot of additives, um, it is incredible the, the variation and the varieties of bread that you can get. Okay, so bread, and then there's cheese and wine, which yes. we've talked about a little bit, and that you said before you met French cheese and wine and that's when your life and career um, destiny changed really Um, so what I mean what do you look for when you go to pick out a glass of wine or a a wedge of cheese yeah so um, as I tell people on my tours uh, one of the cool things about living in France and having access to all of this is that you also have access to an incredible amount of knowledge from the people that are working in those shops. Um, they're trained, uh, many times they're trained in a much deeper way than um, people are trained to work in retail in the in the U.S. especially um, until you get to some really high-end retail. Um, but here, you know, it's much more common to ask for recommendations than it is in the U.S. And so I can go into a wine bar here and say, oh, you know, I'd like a red wine. And they say, do you want something fruity or do you want something like big and bold and tannic? My taste is more towards like the lighter, like smoother, kind of fruitier red wines. And so, you know, and then that's what they kind of go on is more the characters um, versus like the grapes Um, because uh, focus here is not as much on like the grape varieties and wine it's much more about like where it's from and the characteristics of that wine is it is it light is it strong is it fruity is it mineral tannic um, smooth you know all of those kind of things Um, and you know, the same for cheese, too. Because we have so many here, most people don't know the names of all of them, not even French people. <laughs> Especially if you're going to, like, a small cheese shop where they're working with, like, really local producers in small batches. Um, and so, again, like, you can go in and say, what is good in this category? You know, I want a young, fresh goat, che- like, a young goat cheese. And they say, okay, you know, do you want something, like, really light and young? Or do you want something that's a little bit more aged and stronger? And so um, they can really give you recommendations based on like your taste and you don't have to you don't really have to worry about like what the names of what you're eating or what you're drinking. You can kind of more concentrate on uh, the ideas, the feelings behind it, the the um, just the, the more of the sensory experience almost. The thing I love about that, too, is it it, it makes you look it 
a bit more introspectively. It makes you look inside and like, what do I like? Yeah. What do I want to eat? Like, who cares about these names or what I, what's fancier, what's blah, blah, blah. It's like, what do I like? Like, if, as long as I can explain and mm-hmm. put my finger on what I would be excited to eat, then you're good. You're yeah. good to go. Mm-hmm. So I am curious to talk to you about introversion versus extroversion and being an entrepreneur and how this all plays in because you are a self-described introvert. Yes, yeah. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> well, and that really struck me because your job, you are dealing with people and yeah. like you're you are hosting people, you're showing them around. And mm-hmm. I mean, that takes a massive amount of energy, even for an extrovert. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about what it's like being an introvert and a public facing entrepreneur. Yeah, um, it's difficult sometimes, like especially on weeks where I have a lot of tours Um, in the summertime in the in the busy season this last year, I was giving between five and seven tours a week over the course of five days. So, um, you know, a lot of days I would have two tours per day. So I'm working for uh, about eight to 10 hours a day probably about 10 is closer to the reality. Um, And it gets really exhausting. Um, You kind of have to draw on like a lot of reserves of energy and you don't do as much stuff outside of that time, you know. Um, But I, you know, I really love it. I don't think, um, because I have introverted tendencies, I think I maybe gravitate to a job that like forces me to get outside of that um, because if left to my own devices, I might just like burrow into my into my apartment and into kind of my daily my daily like trek and just the places that I go to on a daily basis and not like get out of that. So I really I love doing my job because it forces me out of of those boxes and to kind of make me, you know, I'm stronger than I feel like I am sometimes. Um, and it kind of forces me to acknowledge that. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by the dynamic of where you get energy and like how you find it and then how you refill it, how you refuel it. How do you feel like you counterbalance? You said that sometimes that means if you have two tours in a row, for instance, mm-hmm. in your free time, you're like not going to go get an apéro with friends. I don't know. Can you just talk a bit more about like how you balance, how you choose to balance your life? Yeah. So um, it's not to, it's not to say that tours are always training for me like sometimes especially when I get people on my tours that are really interactive and really curious like that curiosity for me um, is energizing um, you know so uh, there's this if if you are an introvert or if you work with introverts there's this fantastic book called um, quiet and there's a subtitle and I can't remember what it is <laughs> but it's called quiet like um, the power of introverts in uh, I forget what exactly, but it was just a really wonderful book about like the qualities of being an introvert and what makes a, an introvert. And um, we think a lot of times of introverts as being really socially awkward people. Um, and that's not the case. Um, it's just people that um, get how they refill their energy is like spending time 
kind of alone and quiet, um, which is true. You know, um, my like favorite thing to do, literally my favorite thing to do is like read a book and take a bath, (laughs) preferably with a glass of wine. (laughs) Um, You know, so like there's that. Um, But, you know, that's not to say that it's always like, you know, that 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 like giving tours is not a chore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's something that I do. And one of the things that they talk about in this book are are introverts that have extroverted tendencies in the service of something that they really want to do. So it's like um, people that are really passionate about something um, that that can call on more extroverted tendencies to like convey that passion to other people. And that's kind of what it is about for me. <laughs> I love that. And just to follow, I just Googled really quickly. Um, the name is Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Kane. And I am adding that to my reading list because it sounds super interesting and really yeah. helpful. Yeah. I, I read it, I don't oh maybe eight or 10 years ago now. And it was like, wow. <laughs> um, it really, it's it's not, it's great not only for introverts, but also for like extroverts who might have an introvert that they're close to in order to understand them better. When you talked about, you know, introverts are, I think, people in general also being really energized by something that they're passionate about. Um, It makes me think of the bakers we talked with yesterday and some of whom, you know, when we first got there and they Mm -hmm. seem like kind of quiet or, you know, like Mm -hmm. just super French (laughs) and like (laughs) reserved. Yeah. Reserved. Mm -hmm. And then we would start talking and talking about like the, the Leven that they use and their, the techniques Uh and oh my God, we could not, you could not get them to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm like when you get me talking about cheese and wine. (laughs) I'm very curious to know this about you, Jessica. How do you keep it quirky in your life, in your business, however you want to um, translate that? Mm -hmm. So I listen to your podcast. (laughs) I do. It's so inspiring. A lot of times I take walks along the canal and listen to podcasts like yours, which I find really inspiring um, and kind of help me think about things in a different way. Um, I also try to really surround myself with um, quirky people, uh, especially my husband. (laughs) He would appreciate that. Um, And, uh, you know, people that think in different ways than me um, and kind of open open me up to like new ways of thinking about things um, and take a lot of walks and try not to be on my phone all the time. So, Jessica, merci beaucoup. Thank you. That's pleasure. <laughs> oh, wait, that's a fun tip. Yes. Okay, so Jessica taught me this one. You know, usually in French you say de rien for your welcome. So, merci, de rien, but in Toulouse. Yeah, so de rien literally translates to it's nothing. Um, you're just like, oh, thank you. Oh, it's nothing. It's fine. Um, but here in Toulouse and in southwest France, if somebody says merci, you respond with avec plaisir, which means with pleasure. Um, because, you know, doing nice things for people is a pleasure. That's classy. Thank you again for coming on. And where can people find you? How, where can they find more about Taste of Toulouse? Absolutely. So I am online, www.tasteoftoulouse.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Taste of Toulouse or on Facebook, also Taste of Toulouse. <laughs> 
go check out Jessica, check out her work. And Jess, thanks again so much for coming on the podcast and for all your help when I was in Toulouse. Friendly reminder to rate and review the podcast if you haven't yet. And also sign up for my newsletter. I send it out once a month and it is chock full of what I'm up to, but also awesome things that I've seen, read, listened to. So sign up. I am linking to it in the description box of this show. Thanks as always to Funky Brian, the awesome musician that you are hearing, who wrote this theme song right now that you're hearing as I speak. (laughs) Um, All right, guys, I will see you very soon. And until next time, don't forget to keep it quirky. Thank you.